0: Our scripture reading from Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Jesus this is the word of the Lord
1: good morning I take solace in the fact that uh, as Martin Luther preached those Reformation sermons he probably too dealt with birds flying around in the chapel so <laughs> uh The Lord is sovereign and good over all things, and his glory is shown in in our lives and in our worship. So uh, let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll walk through this passage together. Father, we thank you for your goodness, and we pray that you would show us your grace that we receive alone uh, by faith in Jesus. Thank you for your word, and help us to be built up in our faith. It's in Jesus' name and in the power of the Spirit that we pray. Amen. It's been said already in the service uh, in a number of different ways that we are all under pressure to prove ourselves, uh, in in some ways to become something, to justify ourselves, to be acceptable. And, And we do this by, you know, how much we earn by trying to maintain our beauty or our strength or in emphasizing our academic and athletic achievements or in highlighting our families. Uh, We have this tendency, at least I do, to to present ourselves. We wanna present well. Uh, One little example for me is I don't always like to park in front on Sunday mornings if my car hasn't had a bath, because I feel that I'm not presentable. And friends, today, my car is in the way back of the parking lot. We all try to be justified, to be all right. One cultural observer and theologian, David Zoll, has has pointed out that we do this, we try to be justified by often emphasizing how busy we are. And I can't believe it, but I was on a Zoom call on Thursday with some folks outside the church, and they said, how are you? And it literally slipped out. I said, I'm busy. This is what David Zoll has said. Busyness is more than a description of how we're doing. It is one of our culture's predominant indicators of worth and value, a measure of personal righteousness, The more frantic the activity, the better. That's the way the culture trains us to think and to feel. But as we aim to justify ourselves by our standards, the standards of others, we realize that God is the one to whom we ultimately must answer. And so as it's been mentioned, 500 years ago Martin Luther spent hours trying to figure out his own life, trying to be presentable, trying to approve or find approval of himself. He was trying to get right with God in prayer, in penance, in doing good deeds. And so he admitted his impure motives and his occasionally dark thoughts. And yet peace eluded him. And the more he tried to please God with his works, with his obedience, with his prayers, actually the more Martin Luther became discouraged. And as he later admitted, he had begun to hate the God whom he was actually supposed to love and whose law he was called to keep as we are all called to keep. But as Martin Luther was studying the book of Romans in particular, passages like the one we're looking at today struck him like a wonderful lightning bolt. And Luther finally exclaimed, I grasp that the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, I don't have to justify myself. But God justifies us through faith. And Luther continued, thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. And so we are not justified by being busy or by excelling or by maintaining our beauty and our brilliance or whatever. But rather, we are made right by what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Justification is a gift that we receive by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so, friends, there is so much in this passage. Literally, and we say this a lot, but every word, especially in this passage, really deserves its own sermon. But we're going to frame it this way. We're going to look at our guilt that is demonstrated in our failing to keep the righteous standards of God, our guilt. But then we're going to see that God's righteousness has been revealed in the grace, the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we receive by faith alone. Amen? And so first, our guilt Paul says in verse 21, we're going to look at this and then come back to it later on, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law, though the law and the prophets testify to it. Now, what is Paul saying here? Well, we can't be right with God by what the law tells us to do because we don't do it. Earlier in the verse preceding our section, Paul summarized a whole really a whole argument that he was making. And he says in verse 20, it wasn't read to us, but let me read it now. For by works of the law, that is by what we do by our obedience, no human being will be justified or made right in God's sight, since through the law comes what? Knowledge of sin. And this is what Luther was so aware of in his own life. Now, we find the word, or some variation of it, the righteousness of God, four times in this passage. And again, part of what it's building on is that the righteousness of God shows that we're not righteous. But on the other hand, God always does right. He is good. And He is faithful. His right standards, in fact, from his righteous character and his loving heart. And so righteousness, then, our passage preceding the one we're looking at, but also our passage, righteousness is God's right judgment against our unrighteousness. Earlier in Romans, in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness or godlessness, against all, all wickedness, against sin. Now we can say, and you know this, sin has so many definitions to it, but at the core it's rejecting the person, our creator, to whom we owe everything, to whom we owe all that we have and all that we are. God says, as his first command in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. In other words, he is not to be peripheral, which he so often is, but central. And so Paul said in Romans 3.11 and following, therefore there is none who is righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned aside There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, I fear, you fear so many things, right? We fear not having health. We fear, you know, how our families are going to turn out. We fear not having enough money. But do we fear God? And this is not talking about cowering, but loving adoration and reverence. Paul says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so we, like everyone else, we are tempted to dethrone God at the center of reality and to put ourselves there. Just this week, I read, and it's very poignant. It was tragic. But it was um, a, a statement written by a woman who is dying of cancer. Sadly, tragically, and um, she knows how much time she has to live generally, probably only a few months, maybe a year. And so I thought, wow, this is, this is powerful. And in, you know, the headline said, the article said, she wanted to give sort of last words to her young children. And I was looking for some wisdom here, and, and I thought, I wonder what she's going to say. And this is what was at the core of her statement as she was facing her own mortality. She said to her kids, explore your evolving truths about who you are and what you want. Now, I don't mean to be harsh there. I I think that's in many ways the motto of the world. And Paul says that we all subtly fall into that. We think it's our evolving truth about what we want at the center of reality. But Romans says that unrighteousness is not only doing what is wrong, but doing the right things with wrong motives, whether it's parenting or serving or, yes, preaching. Paul says in verse 22, the second part of the second half of it, This is, again, not just the world. We need to be really careful here. He is not saying it's those, you know, unwashed people out there. But he says there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, one of the ways I used to explain this in in youth ministry is, you know, there are there are some people maybe who are, who are better um, in terms of striving to be good and moral and to follow God, maybe better than those who are you know criminals or, or monsters or whatever. But if you think about this as dr- trying to jump across to the grand, jump across the chasm of the Grand Canyon, uh, and you think of that in athletic terms, you're going to get professional athletes, basketball players, Football players, track uh, athletes, they're going to be able to jump 10 to 15 feet probably further than any of us, but they're still not going to make it. And so Paul is saying, wherever you are, if you compare yourself to you know, a criminal, you may be able to jump a little further, but we all fall short of the high calling and the glory of God And so it's not just sinners out there. It is not just the worldly who fall short, but the religious who fall short. And yet we so often say, you know, I am made right. I am justified by what I do, by attending church regularly. And we've been preaching on this. (laughs) It's good to attend church regularly. But that doesn't make us right with God. We we say, I'm justified because I don't gossip, or I'm justified, I'm made right, because I get the doctrine of justification right. We think it's our theology that ultimately makes us okay. There was an influencer who got off of Instagram because she thought uh, maybe it was just kind of consuming her life, and she said... I realized I was worthy by all of my Instagram likes, and she's not the only one, is she? And so Romans 3 says that the law holds all of us accountable to God and that we all fall short of his glory and that none of these things can make us right with him. There is no distinction. I so appreciate um, a pastor in our denomination who who wrote this about his own life uh, upon reflecting on Romans 3. He said, I get road rage. I find more satisfaction in the praise of people than I do in the grace of God. He said, it is not uncommon for me to enjoy hearing my own name more than I do hearing Jesus' name. I have been guilty of that at times, and so have you. He continues, I can be selfish, cowardly, conflict-averse, jealous, and ambitious in all the wrong ways. Yeah. He concluded, I fear the future as much as I trust God for the future. And so as we close this section, it is so clear that the law of God points out our sin. It can't take it away, but it shows us how much we need the righteousness of another. And as we think of the issue of facing God on the last day, I love what Tim Keller said about that. He said, if there is no final judgment, what hope is there for the world as we look at all that has gone wrong in the world. But then he continues, if there is a final judgment, what hope is there for me? Well, that is God's righteousness shown in the grace of Jesus Christ. So let's now return to verse 21 and carry that thought further. Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested or shown apart from the law Though the laws and the law and the prophets bear witness to it, what he's saying there is that the law points to the righteous one who lived the law and who loved God completely on our behalf. And I love how Paul says here, but now he is talking about a a new era. He is saying, never before has there been this kind of access to God ever. You see, in this new era, God gives the righteousness that He demands. And so Paul is saying that God has uncovered not only the righteousness that is shown in judgment, but the righteousness that is shown in mercy. For all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace As a gift, this gift comes to all who believe. And so how beautiful this is, friends. The gift of grace is God's absolutely free and undeserved forgiveness and favor given to us, not based on what we do, thank God, but on the grounds of what Jesus has done for us. And to those who will give an account at the throne of God, which all of us will, the Gospel says that God counts Jesus' goodness, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' perfection as ours. And so what Romans 3 is saying is that in justification, we are hearing a verdict that God will render on the last day. We are hearing it Spoken to us now, in the present, over us. He's saying your names. And he is saying that you're not simply pardoned. You may go. But he is saying you are accepted and embraced. You may come. You may enter my presence fully based on my mercy. It means that we look not at our own Mixed motives at our own sin, at our own road rage, at our own tendency to want to be honored more than we look to the honor of Jesus. We look at Jesus and say, listen to what he says. Look at my actions. Look at my heart. Look at my thoughts. None of it is mixed. It is all pure. And so we are justified by God's grace alone through faith alone in this perfect Christ alone. And friends, because of our union, because of your union, my union with Jesus, our Father esteems us and embraces us not as imperfect husbands, wives, children, Sons and daughters, friends, workers. But He embraces us as perfect in Christ. Completely loving and faithful because that's what Jesus is. And if we cling to Him, those things are as true about us as they are true about Him. Romans says that God did this as a gift, giving it as a gift of grace. And that means that Jesus did all of this as his Father expected in the most radical, self-giving, sacrificial way that's imaginable. And so we receive this undeserved forgiveness and favor through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now the word redemption right? It means what? Liberating slaves and condemned criminals through the payment of a price. And so what this means for us today is that Jesus has redeemed us from captivity to sin, to judgment, with the ransom payment of his blood, his precious blood. Let me tie it back to the beginning. He has redeemed us from this need to justify ourselves, to be good enough for God and others and ourselves, to prove ourselves. Certainly, we still have to prove ourselves at work and in life, but we are ultimately approved by God. So friends, this allows us to rest with hope, and it removes anxiety. Let me give you an illustration of of what this is. There's a a story that's gone around about um, uh, a man who was walking through an airport and he was wearing the the badges and the markings, uh, the jacket of a Navy SEAL soldier. And there's a video and it's rough. And by the way, I don't recommend you watch it. I had heard about it and I watched it and I thought, well, this was kind of rough, but uh, two men, and you don't really see their faces, but they go up to him, and they start interrogating him and asking him about where he served and, and who he was and what his accomplishments were. And as you, you watch the video, you begin to realize this man isn't truly a Navy SEAL. And the men begin to confront him, and uh, they say, you know, we know that you're not a Navy SEAL. You know how we know? Because we are. And then they talk to the man who's just trying too hard. He's wearing all the garb. And they say, you know what? This is called stolen valor. And stolen valor is a crime, so you need to remove all your pins. You need to remove your jacket. And the video shows him doing this. Now, when I had first heard about this, I thought, oh, this might be kind of interesting. And, You know, maybe even a sermon illustration. But as I watched it, I almost wept because I felt for this poor man. Because at the end of the day, aren't we all trying to be something? Aren't we all trying to prove ourselves? Aren't we all guilty to some degree of stolen valor? It reminds me of what the writer Anne Lamott said. She said, if you are what you do, and you do it poorly... What then? It's over. You're wiped out. All those prophecies you've heard in the dark of night have come true, and people can see you for the real you. A fraud. This man was exposed as a fraud. But as we think of the gospel that Romans 3 is describing, it is saying the righteousness from Jesus that is ours Dear brothers and sisters, it is not stolen valor. It is gifted virtue. We are righteous not by pretending to be that we're something that we're not. By always presenting a good self. But we are righteous by wearing Jesus' clothes. And we're going to never have to take those off. That is the virtue and the valor that has been gifted to us. So it's not based on what we have done or not done. And all of the pressure that we feel to perform when we hear, what have you done for me lately? We hear Jesus saying back, it is based on what I have done for you. Well, Paul explores how can... God do any of this? Well, it's because He didn't sweep our unrighteousness under the rug, but look at verse 4. He did it by setting forth Christ as a propitiation. You see, on the Day of Atonement that is explained in Leviticus 16, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies with a blood sacrifice that was meant to you know, cover over their sins and to avert the wrath of God that was against not only the sins of the people, but against that and the sins of the priest. The blood was put on what was called the mercy seat, and so the wrath of God was propitiated. It was turned away from sinners. But all of that symbolism was ultimately pointing to the true priest and the true sacrifice. You see, it is because Jesus gave his life that the wrath of God is turned away from us and we receive the mercy of God. You see, Jesus is the very mercy seat of God. And so it's because of Jesus that judgment was poured out on him. While mercy, acceptance, and approval are poured out on us. And so wrath and love meet at the cross. Mercy and justice kiss as as the judge became the judged for us. And so Paul concludes in verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine patience, in his forbearance, he passed over previous sins. You see, friends, God, we could say righteous as a verb. He righteous the unrighteous. Showing in Jesus that he is both just and the justifier of those who trust his Son. And so this is a righteousness, a rightness that you and I can never earn. We can only receive it by faith. And how do we receive it? We put out the empty hands into which God pours His grace. God only pours His grace into empty hands and into broken hearts. Martin Luther said, God accepts only the forsaken, cures only the sick, gives sight only to the blind. He has mercy only on those who are wretched. Let's raise our hands and receive. You see, because God approves of us in Christ, if we trust in him, we can rest, and we don't have to prove ourselves. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gift of righteousness, for your grace, that the righteousness that you have revealed in your law will not crush us because we trust in the one that you have given to us in Jesus, the righteous one. We thank you that he has fulfilled the law for us. And so we pray that we would come to you with empty hands that you would fill with your grace. We pray that we would come with broken hearts And that we would know that we don't have to ultimately prove ourselves. We don't ultimately, before you, have to present ourselves with our best foot forward because you approve of us in Jesus. And so, God, we thank you for this great news that we are justified by your grace alone in Christ alone, and it is in him that we place our faith today. And so, Father, prepare our hearts as we come to the supper of the righteous one and help us to receive him anew. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.